Hey, welcome to Chance of Gaming, the podcast, the Chance of Gaming podcast. This is episode 110, and with me is Richard. Hello, everybody. Where's Roy? We're missing Roy. He could not make it. Um, oh. Didn't say why. I guess he's, he, maybe he's getting ready for Dice Tower Con. And, yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, he couldn't, couldn't make it. So, uh, well, we miss you, Roy. Hopefully you'll listen to this, and you'll miss us so bad that you'll be back in two weeks. That's true. He should. He should be like, wow, those guys really, really like me. We do. <laughs> it's our guy from Michigan. Because, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask him about I I saw something on um, on the news about people in uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania, like, flying Confederate flags on their, um, their trucks. Uh. I just wanted to ask about that. Well, I, you know. It's just funny we, to me because I'm, I'm in Michigan. Especially in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. If you got any further north, you'd be in another country. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Here in Missouri, you get outside of St. Louis, you see eh, a number of Confederate flags, which is disturbing enough. But, yeah, when you talk about Michigan, that's a whole different story. Uh, yeah, well, you know, here in Mississippi, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what, yeah. Can, what can I say? <laughs> you know, uh, I can probably open my front door and throw a rock and hit like four so that's just the way it is anyway uh flags aside um i what i have been playing um i went to a local convention our our biggest local con in in the state was last weekend and my friendly local gaming store asked for volunteers to help out and I decided to help out, so I have some I have some musings. That, okay. That, what was the name of the con first of all? Uh, it's uh, Mississippi Comic Con. Okay. Yeah, I want to double check that real quick, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure because it's they've actually changed the name several times. It's done. Yes, yeah, Mississippi Comic Con. It's done by uh, ABC Conventions. They do a lot of stuff here in the southeast. Okay. And they do it at a local hotel or something like that. Well, the convention they, center. The convention center here in Jackson. Okay. So yeah, which is it's built. It was built in the late '70s, and so it's kind of not in the best shape. <laughs> it's really weird. As big as the building is, they only have like four bathrooms near the entrance. Oh. So you're not selling me so far. I know. It was like, well, like where we were in the gaming area. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I've got to go to the bathroom. Uh, I'll be back in like 20 minutes because I have to walk all the way across and then walk all the way back. So anyway, uh, just, you know, talking on last last episode, you know, about harassment and whatnot in uh, the board game community. That's becoming a growing thing. I just noticed just how accepting conventions are. Uh, just in general, uh, I you know they you can dress ever how you want to, or you know, and as long as you're not acting rude, you know, generally you are accepted for just who you are or whatever you are. In fact, that particular con actually made uh, the front page of Reddit because our lo- our local news agency and i'll link this in the show notes so you can see it our local news agency interviewed quote-unquote shitty sailor moon oh that was at your con i saw that guy see yes yeah you knew what i was talking about yeah i know exactly what you're talking about that That, was awesome (laughs) that was that was at the con uh he just decided to throw on a sailor outfit and just kind of be belligerent 
It was hysterical because he was like walking around and people would stare at him and he'd go, what, you've never seen Sailor Moon before? And, you know, he goes, what, what's your name? Uh, I, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, well, they'll I'll yeah, and what, show notes. what was funny is the costume was actually, I mean, it was a decent costume. You could tell instantly who he was. Yes. It's not like he put no effort at all into it. Right, right. And then, you you know, you saw the interview with him and it was it was very funny. He was very, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, watch the interview. Dudes in uh, sailor outfits have been a thing at cons for a while. You know, it's, it's usually like the biggest, fattest, or manliest, beardest guy, and they'll dress up like a sailor scout. Um, they even, I know, like, I go to MechaCon. I'll be there in a couple weeks. Um, it's an anime convention in New Orleans, and they usually have, like, a meetup where they all take pic- all do pictures, you know, and it's just dudes dressed up as Sailor Moon. I know Sailor Moon was that was probably I'm about five or ten years past my time when it became. Yeah, I, I, such I've a never big seen thing. it, but I I know what it is. So I've never been into anime at all, really. Yeah. So um, I know I tweeted out some stuff, and I wanted to kind of clarify that because I, I was like, I because lo- like okay, if you if you follow this podcast, you know my dream is to just have a cult following. That essentially, I just want to get in local cons for free. <laughs> that's all. That's all I want out of this. Is just, I mean, hey, if they want to put me up at a five star for Gen Con, I'm not going to say no. But we're I, I'm I'm aiming low. I'm shooting just to get in local conventions free. There are several other local podcasts that do different stuff, and uh, they were like really prominent, and they were running things at the con, and I was just kind of low key jealous about it you know i'm like you know because i look at like their facebook page and whatever and just see how many subscriber well how many followers and whatnot they have and stuff on twitter and i'm like i've got more than that (laughs) so yeah i was just a little jealous and jealous is is ugly so i'm getting uh getting flashbacks here to that black mirror episode where everyone knew everyone else's social status from social media and they judged each other accordingly so oh yeah that is true (laughs) yeah yeah, that would be interesting to see how that worked. I don't know what older people would do, but they'd figure it out. <laughs> so, um, to me, cons are, I swear, gaming, unless it's a specific gaming convention, gaming is kind of taking a back seat at conventions. Most- yeah, I saw that I saw that, that tweet that, um, who is it, Bebo? I don't follow her, but I saw the tweet. Um, you know, she said... My experience at Origins was at a more of a drinking con than a gaming con. I had more people ask me out to drink than ask me to play a game. How do we change this? How do we por- push for more open gaming? So I haven't been to any cons, but my what I know of them, my experience from seeing other people's experience, is they are usually about drinking. There are There's some gaming going on as well, and then people often use them as an opportunity to, to buy ridiculous numbers of games which i saw your picture you came home with a few but i see, i'll see people like at gen con they'll post their pictures on facebook and they're like filling up trucks with games i'm thinking i mean sometimes yeah maybe you'll find a game that you can't get anywhere else but a lot of these games i mean i see what games they're buying and like you know you can get that anywhere are the prices that much better at cons i don't know well i i will tell you this my friendly local gaming store um always um they to compete with the internet and to i argue to stay relevant in the year 2018 to keep the doors open you cannot sell stuff for msrp 
It's you. I mean, don't expect it. Yeah. If you, if you sit there and do it, people will buy it from Miniature Market, Amazon, wherever, and then they'll come to your store and play it. Yeah. And, and you know, you just might as well just bite the bullet, and it's going to eat into your profit. So my my game, local gaming store does fifteen fifteen to twenty percent, which isn't as good as you could get. But it's enough that people are like, okay, I'll support the store. You know, that's, you know, it's right. it's just costing me a few bucks more. You know, it's no big deal. So my store was doing that, and a lot of people were very interested because they had came from out of the area. And they're like, ooh, it's a sale. And so that, that gets you interested. Interestingly enough, we, had, we just got in like two copies of Gloomhaven. And so I carried those heavy bastards in myself. I had to walk like you know twenty yards carrying those things, and they're super heavy. They and, are. Uh, the first one I sold went for too cheap of a price. Apparently, it was already rigged in the POS system as fifteen percent off. So when the guy brought it up there, they gave him an additional fifteen percent off. So, oh, that dude got a really good deal in Gloomhaven. So yeah, well I think the. Uh... The availability problems of Gloomhaven are changing. I was up at Miniature Market today, and they had – now, they were ding and dent copies, but I, I think there was a stack of at least 10 of them there. I, so, I, I swear, man, this time next year, uh, you're going to see – it's going to be Miniature Market deal of the day. Gloom, yeah. Gloomhaven for 40 bucks. You know? Yeah. But, of course, it's going to cost 50 to ship it because it weighs 40 <laughs> pounds. Um, it was cool to me because they just gave me – carte blanche to they're like take whatever you want from the store and take it up there and we'll sell it so yeah. i i actually went through the board games they had and just pulled stuff and uh, it was just really neat i'm like look i'm setting a trend you know i'm i'm doing this yeah because i'm like oh this game's good or this game's popular or, or whatnot uh we were actually had a one guy doing a few demos uh, he was doing smash up and king of tokyo and uh, we sold all of those just based on the fact that that one guy was doing demos for them. And uh, other than that, I don't think there were any in particular that um, were popular because we generally had, oh, the Conan board games. We had uh, four copies of those and they sold, people buying them two at a time. Really? For whatever reason, we, we were like, "Why?" You're like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, the best I could tell you is if you play the RPG, you can use the miniatures and boards for that as well. I don't know, but that was really popular just for us. I had like four on here. I was just going to mention because they attracted people's attention, but they did not sell. And the first one uh, was a game called Cry Havoc. And I'm gonna. And all this will be linked in the show notes, so you can follow along and be like, oh, what is this? What version of Cry Havoc? This is 2016. I love the box art on this, and this is the the whole reason why I I brought it, because it had this really cool box art. So these are games that you brought you brought to the convention with you to play? No, I brought from the store to sell. Oh, okay. Got so it. Th this is me deciding, like, you know, what sells. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I was a trendsetter. Uh, I've seen this for sale a couple of times, and I see on Board Game Geek, Tom Bassel's reviewed this game. It's a couple years old, and uh, just looked pretty neat to me. And it attracted a lot of people's attention just based on the box art. 
It's this futuristic um, game. It is a fighting miniature science fiction war game featuring area control, area movement, and deck building and hand management is how it's described at Board Game Geek. Sounds fun. So, yeah, that one was neat. And uh, Tail and Feathers I brought uh, is... it's They're done by the same people that do Mice and Mystics. Oh, okay. I, I actually own this. I bought it at a miniature market sale because uh, I figured the kids would like it, like to play it, but I have not got it to the table. What sold me on it is it's mice riding birds attacking, like, each other and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> that, re- that really sold me on it. It's just basically a miniature combat game, more or less. And uh, you have, like, some ground troops, and you have uh, birds being pirated, and the miniatures look really cool. So, yeah, I thought I would uh, bring that to sale. A lot of people picked it up, but it's sort of expensive. I thought it was, like, around, like, 30 bucks or something like that, but I think the retail on it is 70 Though, as we type this, you can get it on Amazon for 35 uh, the next Again, one, MSRP yeah. doesn't really mean anything. I, that's very true. The next one was Fog of War. This really got people's attention just based on the cover art. Have you played this one? I haven't, and I figured you maybe knew something about it. This comes so, from... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sort of an interesting story about this. Um, I think most gamers have a designer sort of hidden inside themselves. If nothing else, it's just because there's a game that you really want to play that's not out there. So... For me, Fog of War is one of the most fascinating aspects of warfare in general, um, and it's one of the hardest things to model in a video g- in a not a video game but a board game because there's two players sitting there, and you know you can see. Well, I may not know what's behind that block or what's under that counter, but I know something's there. Even if it's a dummy, you know I can see what's there so fog of war is really hard to model so i've got this sort of idea for a game in my head that's based on the fog of war um so as i was sort of developing this game and writing down my notes and everything i was doing some research and i found out that there is already a game called fog of war i haven't played it and this one looks like it is similar to the ideas that i have but obviously you know they came up with this game and i've got these ideas in my head so separate games but both look like they're concentrating on that one mechanic. So I haven't played this. I've seen it at Miniature Market, and I really want to pick it up, but I haven't done so yet. Yeah, uh, people (coughs) really like just the cover of it, and that caused, you know, I guess people that were looking for a war game, and I know my local store generally doesn't stock any. This is a two-player. It's designed by Jeff Engelstein, Mm -hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly and uh it just looked pretty cool another reason was people were like oh this is like risk i mean i can't tell you how big (laughs) risk is in in people's minds yeah if you've played monopoly you've probably played risk and i mean it was a gateway game for me i wanted something more i wanted you know i wanted to do in napoleonics i wanted to do english civil war and it just went from there yeah but this attracted people enough, and uh, yeah, it was people were interested. And the last one, it and this one, I cannot tell you how many people picked this up, and really, just kind of, and just kind of hemmed and hawed over this one. It's called Seafall. So people, picked it up and looked at it and put it back down, or picked yes, it up and bought it. 
yes, pe picked it up and put it back down. Um, it has some pretty striking uh, box art. I'll give you that. And people were like, well, what kind of game is this? I'm kind of interested. And I'm like, it's a 4X game, basically. You know, which is what? Explore, exterminate... Uh, expand, expand, and, and there's another one. <laughs> what are the four X? Inter entertain. I don't know. But yeah. And I, I was explaining to people. I'm like, well, I do know. Also know that it's a legacy game. And they're yes. like, ooh, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, you know, you put stickers and stuff on the board, so each time you play it, it it it's different. It it kind of advances a storyline, like yeah. pandemic or something like that. So this one was really cheap at miniature market a few weeks ago i want to say it was like 30 bucks or something this was a kickstarter i think a couple years ago and the kickstarter campaign was very successful and a lot of people bought into it because it looked fascinating and then when it first came out the early reviews of it were pretty bad like a lot of people were saying ah this is not what i thought it was going to be it's boring it's sticking around. People are still playing it, but I think in the gaming community, it never really got over that initial first impression, which is why, you know, Miniature Market had a bunch of copies of it for 30 bucks a few weeks ago. So mm. I'd like to play it. Um, it. It does look interesting to me. And, you know, I don't know what the initial Kickstarter price was, 60 or 70 or who knows, but for 30, you know, you're talking about a whole different deal. Yeah, and it was... Um... I like the nice little ships in it. You know, it's yeah. nice little miniatures. The board's done really well, and yeah, it's well-produced, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, that's about all I had with it. I mean, I think other than that, I picked up the new Age of Sigmar box set, Soul Wars, yesterday, and split it with a local guy, and uh, I missed out the 40K tournament today, because I'm too busy interviewing people, and we'll get to an interview just in a minute. <laughs> so what have you been playing, Richard? So in the last two weeks, I have played a grand total of one game. But it was an eight-hour game, so I guess that means something. I, I played Twilight Imperium 4 again. Uh, I played that, I think, the day before our last recording, and I played it yesterday as well. So I think this is my current obsession, and it's just a really, really good game. So I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of it right now. I'm sort of fascinated by it, and I want to I want to play more and more and more. So uh, you'll probably be hearing more about that from me. I'm not very good at it. I think I've played it. Let's see, I played it three times total now. So I'm still trying to figure out what the best strategy is. But that's part of the fun of it too, as I'm trying different things. I played the uh, the Yin Brotherhood yesterday, who are one of the you know if you read like the the, the factions that people like nobody seems to really like the yin very much but i drew them randomly and i thought well i'm gonna go for it i played super aggressively and took mechatrol rex very early and got out ahead and of course that means everybody decided to jump on me so ended up not doing very well but i had a great time so twilight imperium 4 the so, good thing is uh is, no go ahead i was gonna say you played for eight hours that was like what two turns no, no, we played, it probably went, probably went seven rounds, six or seven. I think an average round on that game is usually about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how people are playing, so. Oh, cool. And I think better players will play quicker games, not only because they know the rules better, but because the game ends when you get to 10 points, and 
if you're better at the game, you'll, you know, you'll score points more. So. Hmm. Okay. But next week I've got a full week of gaming ahead of me. I, uh, I'm got some, my work project is finally complete and my family is out of town. So I've got stuff going on almost every single night this week. I've got lots of games. I'm going to, I got my dining room table cleared off and break out some big games that I haven't played in a while. And it's just going to be a week of gaming. So I'll let you know how that went. All right, cool. The next thing we had was an interview. I interviewed Andrew Galea from the judgment game that we mentioned on the last episode. And we learned, I learned all about this game, about its size, its design, 54 millimeter, all this fun, fun stuff. So through the magic of the internet, we're going to toss to that right about now. All right, with me now is Andrew Galea, the guy, I assume you're the guy in charge of the judgment game? That's right. So I'm the, one of the original, well, I'm the creator of the game and uh, the owner of the company, with along with a few other partners, but yes. Now, this game got my attention because mainly of the miniature size. Uh, this is 54 millimeter, and I don't think anybody's really doing a 54 millimeter game right now. Yeah, not many. Uh, there's been a couple of, I mean, nothing that's really mainstream. I guess we are not mainstream yet, but... I think for us, it was one of the first decisions we made. Um, we see a lot of skirmish games that maintain the 28mm scale, even though that there's, there's a few models on the table. The other thing is, in those skirmish games, when they stick the 28mm size models, the scope of the mat is quite big, and it's not realistic. So for us, we built the game with 54mm in mind, including the battlefield, like ours is a hero brawler, so it's in close. So it made sense not to have vast spaces between the models and the scale of the models suited as well. It was cool. Now, that's another thing that attracted to me. I really, really like um, skirmish games on a very small area. And uh, what is your, is your map 2x2 two two or 3x3? Three three? We've actually got both. So we've got a 3 heroes versus 3 heroes version, which is on a 2-foot square board. And then the 5 versus 5 heroes on a 3-foot three three square board. So we have both. Where did you come up with the idea for Judgment? Um, originally, we uh, I sort of thought, okay, there's a couple of things. <laughs> uh, the previous edition of Dungeons and Dragons had a very good, a very intricate combat system, which actually detracted a bit from the game, but it was quite, quite cool how they worked, where, where the two parties would fight. That was probably the initial spark of I thought this would be a really good miniatures game on its own right. Then um, a few years went past and. I was playing a lot of MOBAs, and I'd never seen any adaption of the MOBA try to do the landing phase, and it became quite onerous on the tabletop. So then I just thought, well, the brawling aspect would be really cool, and that was where the spark came from. Um, but that was still a long way between that decision and getting it out in the form it is. But, yeah, that's how it sparked. Okay, and um, now for people that don't know what, what a MOBA is, what is a MOBA? So they call, it's a multiplayer online battle arena is the acronym. Uh, and the computer games that are based on uh, multiple players, each controlling one heroes each, uh, brawling it out. So there's a couple of big titles. There's League of Legends, uh, Heroes of the Storm, um, even Overwatch is a modern one, uh, Dota 2, all those ones. So they're all MOBAs. Um, it's basically destroy your opponent's base is the idea of those games. Um, and the heroes gain levels 
during the game. And the, the, one of the unique things about the MOBAs is it resets every time. So if you play another game, all the heroes reset level one, no items and that kind of thing. And so it's one of those. And it was born out of Warcraft 3. I think they had the Dota um, mod for Warcraft 3 back in the 90s. And uh, that's, the, that's the genre. Yeah, that's right. That is where it came from. And so, yeah, mm. as far as I know, I don't think anybody is really doing a a miniature game, you know, based on that. So you appear to be the first. Now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love those games, and like you said, I've played miniature games for literally thirty years because I'm a bit older, and uh, I have played all sorts of different games, and really, really enjoy the game that we've made, which is great. All right. Uh, so, how did you how did you come about? you know, coming up with this, like, uh, just like, hey, you know, I want to make a game, and, I mean, I have no idea, how do you do that? Yeah, so I think, uh, it's funny, I think a lot of people probably do this at some stage in their life, where they think, oh, we could do a game, and that's basically what happens, so me and another guy, a friend of mine, we decided, let's write a game, it'll be fun, and see how it goes, and we had no idea at that point where it was going to get to, I mean, I didn't know anything about making miniatures, I didn't know anything about how it all worked. I didn't know anything about Kickstarters. I'd never backed a Kickstarter before that. And so we started playing, making up rules. Now, over the course of about a year or a year and a half, uh, maybe a year, we sort of got very little progress. We had a couple of cool ideas. You know, we formulated it was going to be a skirmish game with these heroes. It's, I mean, you basically started from scratch. It wasn't until about three quarters of the way through that we started to get a little bit of traction. And then one day, well after a year, we were playing and then, an hour later, we realised we are playing the game we've created. We forgot the fact that it was our game because we had so many disasters before that where we'd get together all excited, start a practice and then go, oh, this is really bad. Oh, it'll be broken. Or It's really difficult, actually. I, anyway, we got to that point where we had the retraction. That, and then that allowed us to then invite a few friends to try it out because when we thought we had a game that wasn't completely crap. And then, yeah, from there, it just gained momentum. So at that point, uh, I started formulating in my head, learning about Kickstarters and how it all worked. And also researching, you know, we've got a, we engaged an illustrator to do a couple of illustrations, um, and then started t- talking about, and then the illustrators knew uh, sculptors, or you know, that and that's basically how it led us into doing it. And then we did a Kickstarter, and I said, if it works, it works. If it doesn't it? Doesn't? And it worked. Uh, we got our first wave of models out and the game out, and then we did a second one this year, and now we've got 28 heroes and four monsters and a whole bunch of maps and yeah, a starter box. So yeah, it's really cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, uh, two questions there. Uh, did you find uh, local kickst- uh, I'm sorry, local sculptors, or did you have to, like, search the internet? Internet, because I'm based in Australia, um, which is really difficult to do this kind of thing over here. There's not enough big enough market for sculptors or even manufacturers. You really can't get good resin on mass manufacturing in Australia either. So we i'm also my wife's in the uk i've lived in the uk for a number of years a lot of contacts there and in fact um so two of our sculptures now i think three of our sculptors are in the uk the two main ones are in the uk one is in spain um and then both our illustrators current ones are in the uk as well now we did do one of the original illustrators was from australia but that was just some initial stuff uh so some of the early heroes but yeah, most of our stuff's in the UK. We manufacture our stuff in the UK, and we—it's funny—we do manufacture our stuff in the UK. Our two-star starter box and all the peripherals—they'll they'll get made in China. So I'm basically round the clock, sort of just speaking to different companies and managing it from Australia, which is difficult, but it's worked so far. Yeah, that time difference. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like you and I now trying to work out this 
um, yeah, trying to work this out. So we've uh, we've got a couple of stores in the US that do stock it. We can get to that a bit later. But yeah, we've um, and I've been to Adepticon this year with Judgment, and I'm going to a couple of shows next year as well. So it's quite exciting. Traveling's a bit much. Now, if it goes really well, hopefully I might move back to the UK, which make it easier. But at the moment, I'm still in Australia. Yeah, I think your Adepticon is how I noticed it. Somebody took a picture, and I was like, wait a minute, what is that? And, you know, I just noticed how small the playing area was and how big the figures were, and it just really, really drew my attention that way. Yeah, and the Adepticon was it was. I went there with uh, Muse on Minis. Uh, Muse on Minis are going to be doing some plastic tokens and widgets and stuff for us, and uh, I was there as their guest, which was really good. Uh, Jay Larson is another person here who runs a Discount Games Inc. store in Indianapolis. Idaho, sorry, Idaho. And uh, I went with uh, with him to do Adepticon as well. It was cool. Now, uh, these are, I think we've mentioned before, these are 54-millimeter minis, so they're really, really big and really detailed, and they look really, really good, you know, painting up. There's really no excuse not to put, like, you know, eyeballs and stuff like that, because this is a 54-millimeter mini, you know. You, you can do it. You can really, really make them shine with this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, guess us being a, a small company, and it's a pretty crowded market with big companies, we needed something to make us stand out. Now, one of the things we did was not only 54 mil, we thought, well, we're gonna do that. Let's do the best quality miniatures we can. It makes them expensive, but they're really nice minis. They're big, they're the size of War Beasts or War Jacks from uh, War Machine and things like that, or big monsters from um, from Warhammer. So basically we've got, we've got one, one of the characters, Bastion, is a six foot human. So he's our scaling miniature. He's 54 mil from the base of his foot to his eye line. But we have like Minotaurs and, and Eton, and so and orcs and then they're obviously bigger so the monitors are quite big like they're probably uh in inches maybe close to four inches tall yeah and the dwarves are shorter too <laughs> that's right yeah yeah the dwarves are uh dwarves are shorter we've scaled everything from that guy um but we're really happy with the range like we've meticulously designed every hero and and that's what's attracted people to the game initially which is great because the gameplay is really good fun it's it's a great tournament game we build it from the ground up that way. So, yeah, um, once people get the minis, they have a bit of a dabble, and that's how we've been managed to be successful so far. How long does the game take to play? The three versus three game takes um, a little over an hour once two people know within the flow of the game, which is great. The five versus five could take closer to two hours, but it's normally under two hours. We have um, heaps of cool things, like we have a pick and ban where you can ban an opponent like a draft before the game. To, to emulate what the MOBAs have. Um, we have neutral monsters running around. But, yeah, that's how long the game takes. It's pretty quick. It's alternating activations of your heroes, uh, which is quite cool. Uh, and so, that's yeah, that's the time. Uh, what uh, dice is mainly used? So, we're, they're all six-sided, but we have our own combat dice. Um, so, I'm, I'm a mathematician by background. Um, so, I worked out all the probabilities of things happening. But with the standard dice, it becomes quite onerous to constantly work out the value of different hits. So I've translated that into symbols, which is quite cool. So um, just six sided dice with symbols and it makes the combat really quick. So if you watch one of the gameplays, actually Beast of War just brought a gameplay video out just the other just yesterday, which I explain how the dice work. And we've got heaps of uh, how-tos and, and, and gameplay videos on our YouTube channel as well, because we stream every week. Um, so yeah, that's basically what it is. So there's just six sided dice special dice, and you have two standard six-sided dice just for, 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 for bonus damage and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, I see the the main dice have swords or J's on them. 
That's right. Yeah. So the swords are, are there's two swords which are the hits. Because uh, okay, another thing unique about the game, well, fairly unique, is that you don't roll damage. So you don't we don't stack probability on probability. So a lot of games you roll to hit, pick up a bunch of dice, roll to damage, and either of those can spike. With us, you roll your to hit dice, and the symbols tell you how much damage each character has a damage grid of whether it does a glancing, solid, or critical hit. That's based on how many hit symbols you have, and it's fixed damage from that point, which is quite cool. We have some fate abilities, which are the ultimate powers of the heroes, like in the Mobas, and the ultimates sometimes let you roll your, D, your standard D6 or 2D6. That's where you get a bit of variation as well. But the general uh, basic hits uh, um, uh, are used with fixed damage. All right, tell me about like uh, the the original Kickstarter. When was it? That was, um, I think now, February uh, 2017. We 18 now? Yeah, 2017, February. So it's about 18 months ago. Um, we had, so our target then was $45,000. This is all in Australian dollars because I might be able to convert it uh, that quickly. Forty-five, About $30,000 US. Um, that was our target. We had, at that point, we had about 20 heroes fleshed out. Um, we got up to, I think, 11 of the core heroes were unlocked, and we had three heroes that were designed by backers. So 14 heroes came out. We had a starter box as well, and one monster got unlocked. So it gave us enough out there to play the game. Um, but obviously, when you're... Because the beauty of this game is, unlike a lot of other games, there's no factions. So you're not locked into orcs or humans. or It's just like the Mobas, where you can pick any heroes you want. Um so we, it was good to have a bigger pool of heroes. So we did another Kickstarter almost a year later, which was this, this year. Um, the late pledges actually close in three hours, probably after this goes out. But yes, we've had late pledges open for a month. Um, now, effectively, um, that let us uh, get another 14 heroes out. As I said, now we've got 28 heroes. And we've also done a few things like the MOBAs do with different timelines. We've got a pretty cool, rich background, um, which I really, really enjoy writing and being involved in. And... We've got different timelines. So now we've got a couple of World War II themed heroes and also a couple of space heroes. So just like the MOBAs where you've got sword-wielding guys fighting against gun got chicks or, you know, all this kind of thing, we've we've got a similar thing going with this, which is quite cool because it gives a lot of freedom with our models uh, and with our designs, and we've managed to make that work in the game, which is really cool. All right. So you mentioned the background. So what is the background of this game? So essentially, uh, there's a there's a fantasy world like any fantasy world uh, that is called the mortal realm. Um, there, in the in ours, there's a pantheon of old gods that used to meddle a lot with the with the races, the mortal races. Uh, got to the point where one of the gods had they had a fight. One of them died and landed, hit the earth uh, as a comet. It did mass destruction. So all the races got together and decided we need to do something about the old gods. They're killing us now. The way the old gods got their power was when a mortal died, their soul would go to the shadow plane and then it would pass on to the old gods and it would fuel that power. So the mortals all got together, picked a champion. So the five main races picked a champion, which is humans, orcs, elves, dwarves, and minotaurs. Uh, picked the champion each and said, right, we're gonna send them to the shadow plane and we're gonna stop the souls making its way to the old gods. So off they go, they do these rituals and send these five champions back. Uh, and over time, they, get, they start fighting the old gods and the champions become twisted themselves uh, for power because they start working out ways to get power from the souls and they become demigods in the shadow plane each having their own role uh, i'm getting to the end now this is where it works so effectively when you play the game you're one of those demigods so what started happening was the demigods were too scared to venture out of their realms to capture souls because 
they were fighting each other and scared of the old gods coming in and ambushing them. So they started transporting humans, uh, mortals, from the, the mortal plane to the shadow plane to fight for them to gather souls. And that is exactly what the game is. So you you uh, take the place of one of the demigods and you uh, transport humans, uh, mortals from this mortal plane to fight for you. And that's where you've got the three versus three and five versus five. So in the game itself, the object of the game is to destroy your opponent's base, which is their effigy. But effectively, you do that by capturing souls of the people you kill and also souls that spawn on the board. So that, like, as I said, it's a pretty rich background. Uh, it, makes pretty, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Shadow Plane also warps time. That's how we explain how two heroes can have a mirror match because effectively they're being transported from slightly different time zones on the mortal plane. Uh, and then we've got a whole rich, rich history around the mortals when they get when they transport back. So they're not they're not physically coming back. They have an ethereal core, just like in Dungeons and Dragons lore, where their body will go into stasis on the mortal plane, and they'll have an ethereal core which their hero is on the shadow plane. So that's how we explain when a hero dies on the shadow plane, they, their mortal body doesn't die. Their ethereal core is temporarily cut, and they respawn in the game in later turns. So we've explained it all that way. It makes a lot of sense. And so you're effectively fighting the game on the shadow plane. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's very much like a, uh, a MOBA would be, where yeah. they just come back. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone wanted to buy into this game, uh, you have a, bo- a starter box set? We do. So we have a two-player starter box, which has... Because the game has a lot of tokens and effects, and not a lot, but you need there's a lot of tokens involved in the game. There's special dice. Then with the boards, just like the MOBAs, we've got fixed maps. So when you buy a neoprene map or you get a board out of the player box, there's actually four scenarios printed on the box, on the board, with light grey. And it tells you, you roll up your scenario, one to four, and it tells you for map four, this is a, a neutral monster. Map three, it might be a shrine you can test. Uh, so it explains you where the pieces go on the board, and we fix the terrain. So when you're playing without those things, it's a bit difficult. I mean, there's a map you can download off the PDF online, which lets you measure where everything is, but it makes sense when you have a fixed board with everything printed on it. So the two-play, two-play starter box has one of those boards as well. It also has three of the minis. It has two of the heroes and one of the monsters uh, in full size, and it has, like, cardboard standees for some of the other heroes so you can actually can play a game. Now, if you really wanted to get into it without spending a cent, everything's downloadable on our website. So we have full print and play, the rules, the PDFs of all the character standees, all their cards. We have free apps on both app stores, Android and uh, Apple, iOS. And on the on the apps themselves, there's the rule book, all the hero cards. You can track damage during the game. All the magical items are there as well. So there's magical item decks in the game you can equip your heroes with, uh, all the monster cards. So the whole game's accessible. But if you wanted to buy into it physically, the two-player starter box is the best place to go. Okay, but, yeah, I can... Um, the, you said, I, yeah, I'm looking at it. The website is judgment.game, by the way. That's it, yeah. And you can uh, download all the stuff he said from the rule book to the the effects, the uh, the paper dolls, as they're listed here. Yeah, all for free. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, we, I mean, once again... When we're entering this market, it's a small market. It's a big market uh, of big, big uh, companies making a lot of established games. So it's really got no choice when you're starting out. I mean, we're still very small. No one works on the, the game full time in amongst the team. Of uh, there's three of us, uh, four of us actually involved. So you know, for us, it's just trying to build up people, getting to play it, and getting it in front of many people as we can, and being able to print and play it uh, is 
pretty much a necessity these days for smaller companies. Wow. All right. Well, is there anything else that you think people need to know? So the two Wave 2 Kickstarter ships uh, in October this year. Um, now we've got one shop in the UK. We've got a stockist page on our website, which tells you where they are. There's one in the UK. There's two currently in uh, in the US, one in Chicago uh, and one in Idaho. And we've got a third one who's backed us in the Kickstarter, so they'll be coming on board. So we, we are starting to get more and more stores with it. We've got a couple of clubs who have bought in. There's a club in New York who bought in big in the Wave 2 Kickstarter. Uh, so we, and the same in, same in Germany. So we've got a lot of pockets of players coming up here and there. So if you want to get involved, uh, there's, we're very accessible online. We've got all our Facebook, social media. We've even got a, uh, a, a um, Discord channel that I'm always monitoring. So you can always get to talk to us. We stream usually twice a week um, on Sunday nights. Tonight we're doing one uh, and also on Thursdays. We do games as well as uh, interviews and just talking. So I don't know. We're trying our best. I mean, it's a really good game. It's fun. People who try it normally fall for it. It's uh, And the miniatures are beautiful. We get a lot of just pro painters and pro painting streamers who paint our miniatures, which is quite cool. Um, but, yeah, it's a fun game. And if you don't like MOBAs, that, it doesn't necessarily make weight like this because you don't have all the toxic, toxic players abusing you and, you know, all the stuff about motives that are crap. Um, and also the landing phase is pretty much not involved in this. It's just a hero brawler. You're fighting pretty pretty instantly. Um, a lot of cool stuff like neutral monsters and magical items. So I recommend that people at least give it a go and try it out. Uh, Beasts of War are doing a, a series of videos on it. They've already bought out two so far. So you get to see a, what it's like and hear what they think about it as well. Well, really cool. I, I really dig this. Like I said, I the best way I can think of when it comes down to, like, hey, this game is neat, I have a lot of questions about it, I'm like, well, I'll just interview the guy so everybody can hear the answers to all my questions I had. We talked about it a little bit um, a couple of episodes ago, and, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's attracted my attention. I, I really dig it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what a lot of people are saying, which is good for us. <laughs> uh, but if anyone's got any questions, they can always ping me uh, or ping us on our Facebook page or Twitter or whatever. Uh, if you want me to come on again at another stage, I'm happy to do that. Like, um, being accessible is one thing that we've made a point of doing. We try to do the best we can. We actually do quarterly erratas of the game. We actually got an errata coming out today, which is the 1st of July. We do one every three months. Uh, this one's fairly minor, but... We might tweak a couple of heroes here and there. So we are really following the MOBA genre in that we're trying to treat the game like you would a computer game. So all our cards get updated, the apps get updated pretty much straight away. And, yeah, that's basically... So we're very active. We're very conscious of the game being balanced. We have pick and ban, so which makes it really cool. So you can ban out nasty combos or... And because there's no factions, if you happen to think a hero is overpowered or you like it for whatever reason, you can play it in your games. You've got no, you're not locked into playing a particular race, uh, which is really cool. So there's a lot of refreshing things in the game that we think uh, lends itself to sitting alongside if you play other miniature games. This one's quite cool. It's quite different to the others you might play, including the scale. So it's a nice game to have if you play have another game that's your main game and you can play this on the side. The miniatures look expensive when you see them straight away but when you dig into it and realize they're actually big models one of the things we struggled is people realizing how big the models are and they're quite cool when you have them in your hands so yeah it's good yeah uh they average to be about 48 dollars us 
but yeah, right. they're they're huge. I mean, and you only need three to play the game. Uh, if you want to play pick and ban, then you need five. But that's basically it. And if you're playing with your buddy and they've got three or five miniatures, you can swap a miniature between yourselves, and it can change the whole game up because you both can play each other's <coughs> miniatures because you can play any miniatures in the game. So it's a low model count as well, but yeah, it's really cool. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to us. No, it's been great. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, as I said, uh, this time is good for me, so if you ever want to have a chat, just let me know and I'll, I'll come on and, and answer any questions people have. Sure, I'll, I'll get like way into the game and I'll have like a bunch of rule questions. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it live. Be like, hey, he said he could do this. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much. All right, thanks very much. And so the... we're back. Wasn't that great? Excellent interview, as always. It was good. Yeah, I really, really dug it. And uh, I'm glad to see that that game has picked up some uh, U.S. distributors <coughs> and uh, is growing. Uh, you know, he talked about an entire club had uh, bought in a whole thing on their on their latest Kickstarter. And their Kickstarters are continuing to do well. And you know me, I'm always fascinated with Kickstarter, so it was interesting to see what he wanted and um, how they ended up getting it. But yeah, it's really cool. So moving on to what's on our radar, the first thing I had was a Kickstarter for the Traveler Ascension Imperial Warrant board game. Now, this Kickstarter has completed... Apparently it completed back in 2015, and I recently saw one post a picture of a, it's kind of like a beta test or something of it, and it just looked really cool, but to me, I was also surprised that it finished three years ago and it's not out yet. <laughs> not a good sign. Yeah, well, I mean, there are, you know, uh, these copies in the wild that where people are are posting like, oh yeah, I was just I'm playtesting this, you know, or whatever. But yeah, this appears to be like a 4x game in the Traveler universe. I did miss this, but I mean, looking at the the prices, I don't think I I think I would have passed. It pretty much the minimum was like 80 bucks, and then you got to come up with shipping, and then well, that was like you know three years ago. Yeah, yeah. then you hope it gets to you. Well, of course, it says the the estimated delivery was May 15th. I'm sorry, May 2015. Okay, so, now here we go. Yeah. I'm looking at the Kickstarter page. If yes. I pledge $1,000, then I can meet the design team at Origins Game Fair in 2015. Oh, at 20, – okay, well. That bad. that would be worth it. if I For $1,000, if I could go back three years and be able to do some things over, that would be money well spent. So for $1,000, <laughs> you do time travel, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, a quick Googling shows me that it was actually shown at Origins this year. That's where I saw the uh, the pictures from was was from Origins this year. But damn, I mean, it Does was that supposed mean to be. They're in production now, or or, or it's about to come to production yeah. would be my guess. But shit, three years, oi. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, okay, I, you know, I'm completely ignorant. I don't know what it's like on the other end of the Kickstarter. So yeah. But just for yeah. as me, the consumer, it's really weird. I have never been hosed on a Kickstarter yet. I'm not – I haven't done that many, but so far, so good. I've got – in fact, Pavlov's House is arriving tomorrow, so that will be another game I'll play this week. Oh, yeah. Who's publishing that? Uh, 
that is oh who is that one is it renegade every wargaming group i belong to has just been a buzz with it and people are posting like oh it came in look at this and blah 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 and yeah let's say oh it's uh dan Viersen games oh okay dvg yeah. yeah and this one was actually it was originally uh you know board game geek does uh like a war uh uh, contest every year and this one was originally i think a print and p- print and play war game contest winner that then dan Viersen games picked up and is actually publishing it so oh cool i'm looking forward to that one the next thing i had was the hunters ad 2114 this is a kickstarter that's currently going uh you'll probably have a couple of weeks to go as of the time you hear this so you can check this out it, it, I got the reason why I have this posted here is like most Kickstarters, I am immediately suckered into the mechs they have in, in the in the for the the 3D renderings. Yeah, and they look amazing. I mean, they, they really, really do. And that's just like what you show. You scroll down and like look at the the other stuff, and they have a cyber cybernetic gorilla and a rhino and this weird four legged thing and like. <laughs> a panther and some kind of like rat it all looks really really cool so yeah this suckers me into it and i i always have to kind of like back off of it because it's it's usually not too affordable looking at this okay as of we record this they wanted 56 grand and they have 116 grand pledged with 17 days to go as of so they're gonna podcast. make it i mean yeah, even absolutely. even if it went down it's not gonna go down that much right so they've got about 1100 backers the minimum on this thing's 100 bucks that's it just yeah i don't i yeah that just bothers me you know with the sense of i guess basically because it's funded i can back off and in a couple of years i could probably pick this up at miniature market you know, for 80 bucks minimum, probably. You know, maybe I can get it for 50 or 60, d- depending. Now, I know I won't get the stretch goals and blah, 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 but whatever. But just looking how it plays, it looks like a grid-based miniature game with some really cool miniatures. And, yeah. So, I just thought it looked really, really neat. Maybe you will, too. Check it out. And, uh, yeah, if you back it, let me know. I'm just fascinated by it. Certainly looks good. Yeah. The next one is another one, another Kickstarter called No One Warps for Free. Now, this one uh, is finished, and it is a <coughs> it is an adventure for the Alpha Blue role-playing game. And I just thought this was neat because it's quote-unquote sleazy space opera that parodies many existing science fiction franchises. Yeah, I wonder which one they're parrying when they've got a picture of a Twi'lek with a lightsaber. Yep. <laughs> kind of what I thought too. It's like, but I've uh, ne- I've never heard of Alpha Blue before. Have you? Uh, me neither. It's something I ran into on um, I think Drive Through RPG. Oh, okay. And and just kind of Googled it, and they were like, "Oh, look, here's a Kickstarter with a." It looks kind of like they got some half naked models and kind of photoshopped them into <laughs> science fiction poses and whatnot. So you're saying they know their audience. Uh, maybe, yeah, because I mean, like, look at the shirt you can get with the half-naked girl with a tentacle arm on a some kind of pool table or something. I don't know. It's 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 a thing. But regardless, this is 
is funded. They wanted uh, two grand. They got almost four with 200 backers. Yeah, for 16 bucks, you can get the full PDF of Alpha Ass, Hydrogen Gas, or Cosmic Grass. No one warps for free. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, not not my cup of tea, but if someone wants to play it, I guess what I'll, I'll say about this one is that I love drive-through RPG, and it, it's great that it reduces the the barriers of entry for people that have these niche products. So. I gotta say they are definitely uh, they they've got the market cornered on original name. That's that's kind of cool. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Go for there. The next thing we had comes from Renegade Game Studios. Uh, it's a game. It's an RPG called Kids on Bikes, and I'm seeing a lot of people talk about it on the internet. <clears throat> it's apparently about to come out this month, and it just looks really cool. Of course, this is kind of you're riding on that whole. Stranger Things nostalgia trip. I backed another Kickstarter similar to this, which this isn't a Kickstarter. I backed a Kickstarter similar to this called uh, Rememorex, and uh, it just it's about those type of movies, like you know E.T., Stranger Things, you know, all the stuff where it's like you're in suburbia and whatnot, and shady stuff is going on. And it already has a couple of one shots in the work. Uh, so, isn't that what you call this? They're not. It's not a scenario. What do you call it? Campaigns. A campaign. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So uh, campaigns in the works for it, and it just looks really cool. This was getting a lot of push and a lot of notice. It's ages twelve plus, so it's probably pretty safe to you know do uh, for your actual kids who may or may not have a bike, and it has the really cool uh, artwork. It says it's by Heather Vaughn, and I'm going to Google this really quick and see if she does Paper Girls, because that's exactly what it looks like to me. And, uh, no, she does not, but yes, I'll link that in the show notes. Paper Girls is a pretty cool uh, ongoing series of uh, graphic novels by Brian K. Vaughn. So, I don't know, maybe Heather's his sister, I don't know. But it has that Paper Girls look to it, and that's what attracted me to it, so... Yeah, it looks fun. I would play it if someone offered. Um, I do notice on this one, though, the two options are soft cover and hard cover. No PDF option. Mm, yeah, I guess usually not at the beginning. I guess maybe they want to they want to try to recoup recoup that uh, printing cost. Yeah. And then probably later down the line they would because I mean most people do. They do. In fact, a lot of uh, studios even do a well. You buy a uh, hardcover for like five or ten dollars more. I'll give you a PDF for free. So anyway, moving on to the next thing we had is I cannot believe this hasn't been done yeah. before, and and maybe it has, but this is the first I've ever heard of it. This is fuck yeah twenty sided dice. Instead of a one, it says the word fuck. Instead of 20, it says, yeah. So, I cannot believe this has never been done before. So, if you are an Infinity player, which is a D20 game, or any role-playing game, you want this. For I mean, it's for 15 bucks, as of this podcast. For 15 bucks, you can do 10 dice of any color, and you can add <laughs> 10 more for 15 more dollars. You can add skulls, dice trays, or whatever. 
Uh, oh, sorry, that was for local pickup only. Uh, you can do, for $15, 10 dice of the same color, and they'll ship it to you. It doesn't say how much shipping yeah. is. And really, that's that's a little high, but that, that's about the going rate for a full set of dice anyway, so... It's just ten d twenties, yeah. With that, yeah. I, you know, honestly, if this was, if it was d six, I would do it. Oh, it says these dice, no, no, no they're d twenty only. If they did d sixes, I would, I think I'd do it, because it's just funny, just to, <laughs> you know, just to toss it in with your regular ones and just roll it, and just somebody would say, ah, look at that. Play out, see with those. Yeah. The next thing we had was Mantic Games is getting to my knowledge, is getting into the terrain business with Terrain Crate. Which, I was like, wait, is this like Loot Crate where they send me some terrain, like, every month? And no, that's not the case. See, now that that sounds like a better idea to me. I'm sure somebody does it. (laughs) I'm almost positive. Surely, somebody does that. And, uh, but essentially, they're just doing, uh, terrain this is a modular hard plastic scenery i can't tell i think most of these are going to be unpainted i'm looking over in the side they're doing sci-fi and fantasy and i'm looking at the sci-fi thing it looks pretty suitable of course for all the mantic games and of course pretty much anything else Uh, i'd say anything else at about like 28 millimeter 25 28 millimeter their fantasy stuff looks to be mostly just dungeon stuff doors shells piles of gold except traps stuff like that but it's interesting that they got into that mantic has been around for a little bit now um they were one of those when they came out i was like eh, i don't know how well you're gonna do but they're still going on they have a ton of stuff that they do they do Walking Dead, and they have their own version of Blood Bowl, which is uh, Dread Ball, and then they have their own Dungeon Crawler, which is Dungeon Saga. They do Kings of War, and like 40 other things. <laughs> but now they're getting into terrain, so check that out. Moving on to news is what you mentioned earlier. I had it. I, I forgot I actually had it down here, and we talk about it. it. Was this is from Bebo, uh, who is a board game personality. And do you follow her already? Or I, I started. Just, it's one I of those things where someone else. Her, I started following. Well, I started following her in Katie's Gaming Corner after this whole Origins thing because it's like, wow, what's going on in the industry? I, I'm, I'm curious. I want to know. You know, this is neat because you know you want, you really want like your hobby to have like a good reputation and and stuff like that. And it's, and I think I've always thought of the hobby as like opening and accepting you know and whatnot it's like man if they're like dicks and whatnot i don't want to you know i don't want that and that was your experience at the con you just went to right yeah it was everybody was seen to be nice opening open accepting you dress like sailor moon ever how you wanted and <laughs> not too from just what i saw now i know that's just me you know it, it you know it, it was fine and it reminded me of my younger days when i go to conventions and just like I'd see things that I had never seen before. You know, you'd see, you know, uh, tra- uh, people that were uh, transgender. You would, I, the first, I think the first gay person I ever met was at a con. You know, it's just like I, this was way out of my, you know, '80s, '90s Mississippi suburban life. 
that I had, and, it, and everybody was just, you know, it was all great, you know, it was all great, it was the, all, all these people were nice and kind and, and all that, and, and it, it may not be that way nowadays, but that's the way I would like it to be. That being said, um, what Bebo posted was her experience at Origins, that it was more of a drinking con than a gaming con. More people ask her for a drink than ask her to game. How can we change this? Eh. I, I, I would say drinking and conventions pretty much goes hand in hand. Yeah. Period. And not just gaming conventions, but any conventions. I mean, yeah. yes. That's for better absolute... or for worse, people, you know, if they're if they're going to be in a hotel for three days or whatever, they're more likely to drink. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. Gen Con was that way, and it's and it's. I know from my own personal experience, it's like I'm not bothering anybody. You know, I'm just. It helps me be able to stand in line for hours at a time and deal with this press of people, and you know, and just it just I I enjoy it. You know, it's it's social lubricant, but. I can understand if you don't want if you don't drink it's bad because nothing is worse than drunk people when you're sober. <laughs> and I can also understand, you know, I imagine that she just wanted to somebody to come up to her and say, "Hey, let's play this game. Let's play Dungeon Degenerates or, you know, let's play Andy and Abyss." Or something, or or eat, or maybe like, hey, I have a game I'm working on. Do you want to check it out? But because she's an attractive young lady, a lot of people are coming up to her and like, hey, baby, let's let me buy a drink, you know. And I can imagine that's got to be pretty annoying when you, I, you know, you you're in a relationship with somebody that, and you know, you don't want to deal with that. It's like you want to be respected as a board game personality a journalist whatever you know and to have people come along and just kind of boil all that down to like eh, no i'm just interested in you because of your gender and i find you attractive and blah 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 that's gotta suck and i don't think it's the problem with her you know hanging out with the wrong people i think it's just you know being out and about and people are just approaching her as i gathered it and yeah that kind of sucks you know i yeah, I can't imagine what that's like, where, you know, you just walk around and people are constantly like, you know, hey, baby, you know, whatever, and, yeah. I never had that problem. I know, I know, I mean, it's, I don't, I, but I, I understand it, I believe, you know, this happens, and it, it shouldn't, you know, I mean, just leave people alone, I just, but it's so strange to people to, to find, like, girls that game or, or whatnot is still so... Uh, yeah, it, it's still so rare for some people. They're like, "Oh my gosh, this is my dream girl." You know, she plays, you know, Catan or whatever, <laughs> and wow, I, I have to marry her. And so you come up and you're like, "Can I buy you a drink?" And she's like, "You know, no, I, I just want to play Catan. Please leave me alone." That's gotta suck. I do know out of this whole Origins thing, I do believe it was stated that DiceCon is going to ban alcohol. And I, I have, that's I the one Roy's that. going to, right? Yeah, the one Roy's going okay. to. That they're going to ban alcohol. Which, I mean, honestly, man, that's kind of tricky. I don't know how exactly you would do that. Sure, if the the place you're at sells it, you can say no. Don't sell that. Yeah, um, I mean, you can say none on the floor pretty easily. Yes, you can. But for the most part, 
people, including myself, we have a flask in our bag. Yeah. And so we, we go buy we go buy a Coke and then we just pour it in there and we go about our business. I mean, you, I mean, at Gen Con, you know, we were just doing it openly. It didn't matter. People were carrying around growlers of beer and whatnot. But uh, if you really wanted to, if you were cracking down on it, I mean, people could go to the bathroom and, and do this. I mean, I don't know. I think I, I think I would have more of a code of conduct that's clear and posted and just toss people out. I mean, you're... That's going to be, I think, the biggest thing is to increase your con presence, stop relying on volunteers, and just start throwing people out. Take their badges and throw them out. And once that kind of reputation gets around, once word gets around, people are going to behave, I think. You know? But, oy, that's that's just me. And that's kind of where we are. This is like the big thing in board gaming right now. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, – I'll be watching the, the news from Gen Con pretty closely. Yeah, it will because I know a lot of people are looking at that and with the Anita Sarkozian and mm-hmm. you know all this different stuff. And so, yeah, damn it, I hate I'm not going this year, but it's going <laughs> to happen. But, yeah, all yeah. my friends and I, we're, like, we're dead set. We are going next year. Come hell or high water, we'll be there. Which reminds me, I was going to – I wanted to think of a con – that you, me, and Roy could attend. Of course, Roy is the furthest north. I'm the furthest south, and you're kind of in the middle. We'll so just we all meet in we, St. Louis. We need to kind of look at. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's not not fair to me and Roy. You, you've got to drive a little. But I mean, yeah, we should look at that. We should look yeah. at cons in, in in and around that area, kind of in the middle, and just see. And we we could all go and meet up. We could do a show. Well, I mean, actually. You know, Indianapolis, Gen Con is is that place if you just want to look at geography. So maybe that's look next that. year. Uh huh. Maybe that would be cool. Although, like the big big ones like Gen Con, it's yeah. I mean, little guys like us, I can't even get a press pass, and uh, much less be like, hey, can I have a panel room where we can do a live show? We're gonna be big by then, though. Yes, by then, we're like <laughs> ten. ten you know, a couple of people might show up for. <laughs> and they'll, they'll, it'll be like the wrong room. <laughs> I do plan on like working Gen Con a lot more uh, next year, just period. That's what I want to do is just like I've got, you know, my little field recording rig and just walk around and just interviewing people and just have a lot of that. But, man, there's a lot of it. And from someone that works in the television industry, I'll share this because uh, it really made me laugh. At the local con, there were a lot of people from what I assume are local podcast or or YouTube channels that were around shooting on uh, iPhones. And a lot of them had what are called gimbals, which are essentially like a little stick that you mount your iPod on top of. It's That's not uncommon. To me, it's ridiculous because uh, the iPhone ha- will actually correct shaky video when you shoot it. You, you don't need it. What made me laugh was they were putting windscreens on the end of their iPhones. <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. And I thought that was the funniest thing I ever saw. But then somebody came around the corner with an iPhone mounted on a shoulder rig. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it is not that serious. I'm like, yeah, I, I can't believe. what I know what those shoulder rigs cost, and you stuck an iPhone on it. That's just ridiculous. But anyway, made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> moving on. 148 tactic 
the core rulebook is available. And I wanted to talk about this game because I have been interested in this game, I swear, for about a decade now. This is an Italian-produced game, and um, I don't quite know the history of it. I followed the designer and just the game in general, constantly pestering him about a, um, a U.S. distributor for about, gosh, it's probably at least five years, probably ten what attracts me to this game is these figures are 48 millimeter, so they're a little big. I believe that's why it's called 48 Tactic. Um, I think they're 48 millimeter. I could completely be wrong. But what attracts me to it is it plays on like a two by two area with just like that's tiny for y- yes yeah. for like one to three figures per side. That's it. It is super small scale skirmish. Interesting. That's... So I really, really dug that idea. Yeah. It, so I, when they it looks they interesting out... to me. I like uh, I like I like World War Two stuff, and it looks interesting to me. the The big thing with this is, I, I mean, I look at this, and I, I would have to know that someone else is playing this. You know, if if I'm the only one that has it, you know, I'm not going to get to play it very much. So. I know. I know that feeling. That's like my whole... Yeah, that's... I have so many double things. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. But it's... I'm sorry. It's one, it is 148 scale. It's not 48 millimeter. Oh, okay. Um, It is 148 scale, which is popular among um, modeling, like aircraft modeling and stuff like that. Yeah. So, it's according to this, 1 to 48 is... Millimeter per foot is about six millimeter. I don't. It's about. It's roughly twenty eight. It's kind of a. Uh, it's somewhere between twenty five and twenty eight millimeters. So it's it's your standard miniature size. But anyway, I've always always been interested in this game. So when it came to Kickstarter, I was like, yes, I am gonna kickstart this to the hilt. And so I ordered like two, I've got two starters coming and all this stuff. What I like about it is the guide that does it works for or is um what is it baudia war games b-a-u-e-d-a they're well known for some really good stuff in historical miniatures so the sculpts and all that are going to be really good and yeah I, I just know i've seen this i've seen like pictures of like italian tournaments you know people playing it and it just looks really cool really really freaking cool so so is it uh, is it U.S. and Germans? Is it Germans and Russians? What is it? It is Germans and U.S. to start. Okay. And then British and Russians are coming. Okay. Yeah. So, just really cool, and I've it's something I've been hyped on for a while, and so I'm going to talk about it. Moving on to upcoming ASL products. Here we I go. Did, yeah, I did see where MMP found enough spares but not any boxes to do some boxes of uh was it doom battalions and some other stuff yeah yeah they're those are like you said i think they kind of found some some old supply or whatever so which was interesting it led a lot of people to ask well what about this game what about that game and they're like um we don't have any plans to do it and i can't tell you how many people commented like, well, hey, why don't you guys do a P500 system? Yeah, you would think that. I mean, 
that would make all the sense in the world. And they do do a pre-order system of some sort, but um, it's not, you know, that this list that, that shows here, there's, there's still nothing except for the starter kit. There's nothing Pacific theater on here. So the, the rising sun module is not apparently not even scheduled for reprints at this time. So um, I know you were asking about Croix de Guerre. That's, that's on the list. So the French stuff uh, for King and country. Yeah. For next year. year, Right. So, um, the one thing I saw on here that I thought was super interesting, electronic ASL rule book. Oh, they're, well, they're finally going to actually publish a PDF thing. So look, I, I know there is a bootleg PDF of it that have, that's been kicking around for at least 10 years now. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I don't have it, but I would love to have an electronic version of that rule book because I would put it on my iPad and I would read that thing all the time. The binder is a pain to carry around with me, but um, I would read that electronic version all the time. And it would make it a lot easier to look things up because I have to look a lot of things up when I play ASL. Yeah, you simply just do type in search. Yeah, absolutely. What are low... benefit do low walls give me or whatever and it'll, it'll pop up yeah so yeah that's what's coming oh apparently there's uh, a normandy airborne historical asl module coming out too i hadn't heard about that one hmm. so that sounds interesting that one if, if especially if you can play that with just beyond valor and yanks which i have you know that would be a good one to check out still waiting on my copy of red factories this this <laughs> is quarter three get on it come on <laughs> So moving on, uh, oh yeah, um, Games Workshop, their sales are up 39% for the year. The profits are also up, and they paid out bonuses to their employees. So I guess breaking with FFG was good for them. Well, I guess. I mean, <laughs> honestly, this is the way it should be. Um, and, because, I mean, come on. Honestly, they have licensed out Warhammer for everything. As of this podcast, as of today, I didn't have it on here as news, maybe I will for next week, there is a Warhammer 40,000 Monopoly set coming. Oh, no. So they've licensed it for everything, especially when it comes to um, video games. Console, and especially PC and phone. It's just license, license, license. It's all out there. And on top of that, Age of Sigmar has been just really big for them. No matter, I mean, I hate to say it, I really loved Warhammer Fantasy, but it's it's the truth. People didn't pay, play Fantasy, and apparently Age of Sigmar got a lot of people to to play it, and it's caused them to make a lot of money. So, there you go. I'm just, yeah, for what they charge, and that's another thing, for what they charge, they should be posting a profit i would be pissed off if they were like nah we're posting a loss i'm like (laughs) what are you doing anyway moving on to um bell of law this is an article from bell of lost souls this is the origin awards and we were just gonna kind of go over these and see what you thought game of the year was gloomhaven so uh my buddy just picked a copy up and i'm gonna play it for the first time on wednesday I'm really looking forward to it. 
I've seen I've seen it played in the shop, and I talked to one of the guys afterward, and he was like, eh, it's got a lot of stuff you keep track of, and it has a really large footprint. Yeah, it's interesting because it's got kind of a kind of a smallish board, but all the other stuff that surrounds the board, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a table filler, and the box is huge. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the I cannot tell you how heavy the box is. Yeah. It's like twenty pounds. No exaggeration. <laughs> The best card game of the year is Ex Libre. You familiar with this one at all? I am not at all. It's from Rendegade. It has some cartoonish graphics. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I wonder if it's about a um, it's oh, it's about you collect rare books. It is card drafting, set collection, variable player powers, and worker placement. Okay. It's in the solitaire game family. So interesting. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. The of course the best family game of the year is Azul. I yeah, this is insanely popular. I guess I'll have to eventually play it. I don't understand why it is, but it is crazy popular. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the same situation. Haven't played it yet, but everybody's talking about it. People are making like giant size Azul and you know all this stuff and okay. Yep. Uh best role playing game of the year was Adventures in Middle Earth which is uh, by Cubicle 7. This is new because I can't think of the uh, the other company that had that license uh, before, but yeah, they lost it, and then uh, Cubicle 7 picked it up, and yeah, I think I own this one in PDF, but have not played it. Yeah, I flipped through it. Um, there's actually... So there's, there's a Lord of the Rings RPG called... Uh, what's it? It might be called... The One Ring or Lord of yes, the Rings. That, but yes, yeah, that's the old one. That's yeah, the old the one, One right. Ring. And then, uh, so Watsy actually got... It's interesting, because if you have the, the Lord of the Rings books, which I've got on PDF, um, but if you've got those books, Watsy had uh, a Middle-Earth sort of cro- uh, setting or whatever for Dungeons & Dragons. And if you look at the actual Watsy D&D book, the artwork is straight out of that old... I mean, it's literally the same artwork out of the old book. So then this is now the new edition. And, um, I notice it says five E up here. So this must be, you know, for dungeons and dragons. I'm assuming it's a, a setting conversion or whatever you want to call it. So, but I, I, th- I just thought it was interesting that the art is exactly the same, that they reused the art from, I guess, a hmm. different publisher. So, uh, looking at this, the One Ring RPG was by Cubicle 7, and it was done in 2011. So, Adventures in Middle-Earth is just a new version. Okay, so, and the One Ring, I don't know which one Adventures in Middle-Earth uses, it is a different system than D&D. I mean, there's there's a lot of thematic differences, but even the dice are different. You know, it's not a D20 system, so. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. I got to flip through it. I knew I brought it to the con because we had a lot of D&D and we sold a lot of D&D. A lot of players guys sold. It was a lot of people like buying with their kids that were like, hey, I used to run this back in the 90s and we should buy this, kids. D&D is still wildly popular. I mean, it's it is still the game, the role playing game. So. But I, I was trying to bring some quote unquote indie RPGs up yeah. there, and uh, or just non D and D Pathfinder, and that's one of the ones I did, and it sold okay. I sold one of two copies. Yeah. 
that we had. Speaking of D&D, the best role-playing supplement of the year, Xanthar's Guide to Everything. Yeah, this is another one I flipped through. I didn't buy it because I'm, cur- I'm not currently a dungeon master, so I... Uh... The, the games that I that I run, I run in the Star Wars FFG system, so I never really had a reason to pick this one up, but I did flip through it, and, you know, it's it's a, I'd say it's a typical Watsy book, but I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean, it's typically beautiful, well laid out, good information in it. I mean, if you're, if you're a DM, you're probably going to want this book. Hmm. Uh, I know it's been really popular late uh locally yeah i know a lot of people have picked it up their books just uh, look so nice i mean they're yeah, just they do they're really nice i love the cover uh the next thing was best miniatures of the year i think that should be best miniature game of the year <laughs> but it was warhammer 40,000 eighth edition from a guy who hated this game years ago i will say it's the best edition it's done really well, and I really appreciate how involved the company is in it. So, yeah, I would I wholeheartedly recommend you buying that if you're interested in the 40K universe. Yeah, I don't know enough about 40K to even tell, like, if people are playing what version they're playing, but I can tell they're playing 40K, and I do know that it's it's popular in St. Louis. It's You're more likely to see, if you're seeing people playing a miniatures game, you're more likely to see... Well, probably X-Wing is the most popular, but 40K after that. Yeah, absolutely. No matter where you go. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we had was Best Game Accessory of the Year, and huh. that is the... I don't know why they specifically chose this one, but okay. Uh, Terraforming Mars Organizer by Broken Token Gaming. Have you ever bought a Broken Token insert? No, I actually saw them for the first time at Gen Con last year, and I... The whole reason why is because a friend of a friend was volunteering for them or working for them. I don't. I assume he was getting paid, but he was working their booth, and I was like, I went through the booth and I was just like, wow, okay, this is really cool. It looks really handy to do this kind of stuff. It's a nice little insert that's designed to fit in the box and organize your stuff. So yeah. it really is. They look nice. I I can't quite bring myself to pay forty bucks just to organize my components. But if it gets the game on the table more because setup is faster, then that's that's probably the selling point. Because there are games that I'll look at and I'll go, I'm not going to play this tonight because I don't want to spend 20 minutes to set it up. You know, uh, Ziploc bags are really cheap. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, you get them at the dollar store, and I got two different sizes here. And like I said, I played uh, you know Twilight Imperium and got everything sorted up, so... You pull out the faction, you got your color, you got your, your cards, good to go. Without broken See, I token. Didn't, I, I didn't even think to uh, go to the dollar store. I'm buying mine at Walmart <laughs> like a sucker. Uh, and the last thing on this list is the best collectible game, and that is Star Wars Destiny. Yep. Very... Do you see anybody playing that locally? Uh, yeah, I see it on at Miniature Market on Tuesday sometimes. Uh, Tuesday night at Miniature Market is just Star Wars night. So there's X-Wing, there's Legion, there's Destiny. Um, and yeah, I see people playing it. It is a really good game. My problem is I just, I can't do, I, I need to know what I'm getting. I can't, I can't spend money on cards that I don't know what's in the box. So I, I actually bought Destiny when it came out 
and I played it for a couple months and bought some, you know, card expansion packs for it. I, you know, I, I ended up spending on, you know, the the expansion packs for it at least a hundred bucks and never got a single purple card or not it not a good one anyway or whatever. So I just thought I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna keep gambling playing a game. So I ended up selling it and got back because it was. Uh, hard to find at the time. I got back everything that I put into it, so no loss for me. But it nice. it, it is a really good game, though. Um, I will say famously, uh, locally, it is the game that tons of people buy and nobody plays in the shop. Yeah, well, maybe they're playing at home. I mean, it's a that, it's a small two person no. game, so yeah, that's what they're doing exactly. But the the shop guys are like, man, we sell tons of this stuff. But nobody plays it here, and, you know, I try to do events, but nobody will come. But they'll buy, every time it's released, they'll buy tons and tons of it. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's weird. I've seen that happen several times with different things. Like, I bought big into uh, Legend of the Five Rings, because we had a little group. Yeah. Nobody, nobody will play at the store. They're all playing at somebody's house. That's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. And apparently they don't like me, because they won't, they won't invite me, so... <laughs> Uh, moving on, um, this link from, um, Reddit, r slash RPG, is about something called the Mechton Zero Kickstarter. This is r Talarosian Games, which is Mike Pondsmith, he has decided to refund backers. And you know, we like to cover a lot of Kickstarter stuff here, but what essentially this is, and you can read it in the show notes, it was an RPG that was funded five years ago and the guy has been unable to um to produce a product for it and uh instead he's refunding the money i think i vaguely remember this a few years ago it was basically a mecha kind of like a gundam yeah. style rpg and um he wanted 20 grand and he got 50 so i don't know Maybe, maybe that was bad. And um, uh, yeah. Well, I've never heard of that I, happening before. I've never heard of a refund for a Kickstarter. So, uh, good, good on him. Maybe, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he. The problem was he just got too much money. You know, it was like when you start getting that kind of money, you're like, oh, what can I do? You know, oh, maybe I should offer this or offer that. I don't know. But yeah, I guess. People are getting your money back, so that's that's really good. <laughs> Continuing the theme of Kickstarter, the next thing we have was Monolith Board Games has a new Kickstarter strategy. And I love this article because it actually mentions that companies are starting to get a pushback from consumers. They are being criticized for abusing the Kickstarter Pro, a platform turning it into a pre-order system and transferring the risk of new games from the company to the consumer. See, now earlier you said that your goal is to have a cult following. Your yes. cult following is people that are annoyed with big companies doing Kickstarters. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a, we'll, yeah, we'll have a, uh, a big group meeting yeah. at Gen Con <laughs> next year. Down with this sort of thing. So, uh, Monolith Board Games is got this this new strategy. They're coming out with uh, Claustrophobia 1643, 
and what they're going to do is <laughs> what I what I love is like they're they they're kind of sound, making it sound like they're noble for doing this. It's um, they have assumed the cost of development, um, you know, uh, on their own basically, and they're going to make ten thousand copies and then send them to distribution centers. So the Kickstarter will not fund it, but it's just a sales thing. So it's kind of a pre-order thing. But it will it will be paid for by somebody else, which I mean, holy shit! This is what companies did before there was a Kickstarter. Yeah. This is this is not anything revolutionary at all. You know, it's just people that are kind of they're they're like, well, I guess we're gonna do the right thing, and you know, we're just gonna regular pre-order. Why they want to get Kickstarter in it and not just do it themselves? I don't know, because Kickstarter still takes a cut. Yeah, and a few, few weeks know. ago, I don't remember who it was, but there was another company we talked about that said we're not going to do Kickstarter anymore. So, oh yeah, 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 and several people messaged me on Twitter. They're like, they're not doing Kickstarters anymore because they were shitty. <laughs> you know, it all depends on how you spin it. Yeah. So, uh, the next thing we had was Catalyst Game Labs has issued a statement on the conclusion of the Harmony Gold legal saga. It, it's over, people. It's over. As of this podcast, it's over. This lawsuit that's been going on, and you know, now, for just to decade. Yeah, go ahead. F- remind me, this is the company that wanted to produce Battletech but didn't have the license to it? Well, um, yeah, that was that's the weird thing is like when they when they sued them, yeah, they, they thought sued they had the license, and that's what, what the they disagreement didn't. was about. Yeah, right, right. They just proved in court that you don't even have the license to sue us. <laughs> it it is interesting because of where the how this thing started out. When it started, Harmony Gold was big and powerful. You know, they were making all this money on $35 anime VHS tapes and shit like that, and Robotech licensing, and all this stuff. They were making tons and tons of money, so they had the money to fight this. Flash forward to 2018, and the tables have turned. Catalyst Games is in a much better financial situation than Harmony Gold, and was able to defeat them, essentially. Yeah, but defeat defeat this lawsuit. And Battletech is is resurging. It's, It's currently on the rise with more than one you know developed thing out there i mean they've got you know the video game is coming back and there's board games out there so i mean i can see why now is the time to to make sure that this fight is over you know one way or the other i mean it's got to be determined because it's the stakes are going up on BattleTech. yeah no and nobody wants to invest in a company that is um that yeah that it's an unsure footing right it's like well if i put all this if i put a hundred thousand into you It'll just get sucked up in this lawsuit, so I'm not going to do it. So yeah, you don't want that at all. And this, if you haven't played the new BattleTech PC game, it's awesome. It plays just like the uh, the tabletop game, and I highly recommend it. Set on Steam? Yes, yes, sir. It is. Right. It is on Steam, and I think it's currently on sale. No, on Steam Summer. I was sale. say, put it on my wish list and wait for it to go on sale. So absolutely. <laughs> So uh, the next thing we had, did you put this on here about the expansions for Viticulture? I did. Uh, we've talked about that game before. It's a Jamie Stegmeyer game, and it's a good game. I, I thought it was interesting, though, that they're they're doing a pre-order print-and-play. So I guess, you know, if you pre-order it, you can go ahead and print it out yourself and, 
it's an expansion to the game uh, Viticulture. There's already one expansion out there that I don't own, only because I can't find the thing in the stores. It, it's always sold out everywhere. But it's a great game, and um, I might I might check this one out as well. This new expansion for it. Actually, they now that I think of it, they just came out with a second ex, second expansion that's basically just a deck of cards. It's called like visitors from somewhere or something but it's a deck of cards that gives new visitor cards for the same game hmm interesting and who puts this out uh this is stonemeyer games okay and i think the last thing we had you put this on here as well this is this is a kickstarter for galactic scoundrels a space western storytelling card game yeah this one i'm really thinking about so they they have not met their goal yet which a lot of these ones we look at and they're already way over their goal they've got 23 days to go they have not met it yet i'm seriously thinking about picking this one up because it it looks like a, a very light fun rpg just card based um Based on it's called Galactic Scoundrels, so you know you can play Han Solo or whatever. But it's kind of an RPG, kind of a you know uh, family table game. Looks like a you know what you might call a pub game or something, where you can don't have to think too much, but it looks like looks like it's a lot of fun. So I'm seriously I'm thinking about this one. It looks a lot. I get a lot of Firefly vibe yeah. off yep. of it. Yeah, Mal Reynolds, Han Solo great characters like that for a measly five dollars yeah you can get a print and play pdf for this which is good for people that have nice printers at work <laughs> yeah for tw for 25 yeah i wish i worked in the art department <laughs> i would yeah i'd get in trouble uh for 25 bucks you could get the actual physical copy of the game and a pdf and all the stretch goals yeah so, and that's not that's bad good. at all. So, I've got this one bookmarked. It's got what did I say, 23 days to go. So, I'm gonna keep checking back on this one. They're only short about three grand. Yeah, L yeah, because they didn't it. ask yeah. for very much. So, well, they they wanted seventeen thousand. They've got thirteen thousand, thirteen six. Yeah. So they're just a little bit. Yeah. That usually. I think a lot of people are like me that just bookmark it, and then in the last 48 hours, they get that reminder, and they're like, um, okay, what do I want? It's yeah. That or, or you immediately see it and do the um, whatever early bird special is good. Yeah. I've done that. So that's so. kind of where I am. I'm leaning toward getting it, but I'm keeping an eye on it. All right, cool. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of our podcast here. Um, it's important that you go on Twitter and follow Roy Toy Cowboy. Because he talks about stuff, and yeah, he's good. I mean, it's good um, rants about the president from him lately. I know that's maybe that's what he's doing. He's checking <laughs> those out right now. Could be. And uh, you can always find us at chanceofgaming.com. That's our. We've got our Twitter, our Twitch, Patreon, all that good stuff is there. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview. We've got another interview for next go round, and another one planned past that. So you know, stick with us because <clears throat> you know we enjoyed doing this and if you want to be you know in the cult it's um cap uh it's chance oh, what is it it's chance of gaming at gmail.com i had to think of what the stupid email address is so, <laughs> there you go give us some feedback let us know what you're thinking good night we'll see you later good night everybody